All right. Well, good morning. We tried to make that transition look smooth. How'd we do? <laughs> Guys, thank you for your help. I appreciate that. What you don't know, these babies are heavy, really heavy, right? To get them up here. Uh, as you can tell, we're going to team preach today. I'm super excited about that. And what I get to do is this fall series is I get to share the vision that God has laid on the hearts of our leaders. And I, I, again, I couldn't be more excited because there is a need for vision for Christians, for the church in this season. This season demands us to go forward. Where are we going? We can't do what we've always done. I mean, we keep making this kind of joke of 2020, but it kind of is not a joke, right? I mean, what a year, and I think there's a, an amazing opportunity. So what we kicked off is our series for this fall on the new vision and mission for our church. So let me pray, and we just want to share that with you. And again, could be excited. Welcome those that are online. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray for your presence. Thank you that we could worship you, lift your name on high. And Father, we want to stay in that place as we hear from you, from your word. What I pray, that you would speak to each person right where they're at. All of us have brought something here today. And we need a word from you. And God, you are faithful. And I trust, I believe, that you will deliver it. And so, Father, I pray for Pat and I that we would step out of the way and let the Holy Spirit lead us as we share the message that you've laid in our heart this week. But be with those that are hearing, that they would make a way for you to speak to them today. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. So we're looking at our vision, and I had the privilege of opening the series up last week and talk about the first two elements in our vision plan. That's our motto and our vision statement. Now, our motto, which I called a compelling snapshot, is hope changes everything. Hope changes everything. What a snapshot is, is it's just this quick look snapshot of who we are and what we believe to be true here at North Shore. What we believe to be true is that hope, capital H, changes everything. There is nothing that hope cannot, does not touch. And we believe that. You see, the snapshot, that little quick motto, is something that you can see from far away. Whether it's through, written down, someone reads it and say, oh, there's a quick little tagline, I see that. Or it's through experiencing hope changes everything through your life when they engage you. And I used this illustration of Mount Rainier last week. You know, when I come over from Eastern Washington when I used to live there, middle of the state, I-90, you could see if it was really clear, way in the distance, the top of Mount Rainier. And we always longed and hoped that it would be clear so we could see it. Because when you're over in eastern Washington, 
These mountains over in western Washington are very impressive. Stunning. So you, uh, stunning, right? Stunning. Blow your mind. So you say, whoa, look at that. But when you get closer, you know, that's just a teaser. You know there's something more there. When you get closer, one of my favorite views is uh, at Tacoma to see Mount Rainier. You go and get closer, and all of a sudden you see this mountain. And yes, I know it's doctored up a little bit, but I wanted to really, no, it's not that much different than that. It blows your mind. If you've ever seen Mount Rainier on a clear day in Tacoma, it just stops you in your tracks. Oh, there's more than that top of that mountain, and it's really impressive. The same is true with hope. There's something more to it than just this idea of hope, and we're going to talk about that. And when you get closer, you see it and you experience it. And that's what we want people. We want them to be compelled, compelled to be drawn to North Shore because we believe that hope changes everything. And what makes that compelling is the idea of hope. There is a state of people now. They are searching for hope all over. I mean, you know the conversations we have, the conversations I have with people. Watch the news for 30 seconds, and you'll see a people that are desperate for hope. Mm -hmm. They need hope. And when they see that place believes there's a hope that changes everything. I need hope. I need hope right now. Because this world is not working real well. Amen? But that church, they believe hope changes everything. I'm going to go get closer. And what happens, what makes it compelling is you speak that message of hope changes everything in that motto to the people furthest away, whether it's physically from North Shore. They just see it, again, written, experience it with you. Like, huh, what makes you different? Why do you act the way you do? And you give them a reason for the hope that lies within you. But also, people who are far from God, they say, I need hope, and they're chasing hope in all kinds of different ways. And they say, okay, you say, you know, hope changes everything. So I'm going to come in and see what you say. And we get to point him to hope, capital H, Jesus Christ. Right? So it's compelling in that way. And what we believe is what we'll see in our vision statement. When we believe and live out, hope changes everything. What we believe we'll see is we will see our communities change through hope in Jesus one person at a time. That's our vision. That's what we believe God is going to do. He's going to change our communities through the hope in Jesus one person at a time. Right? And our communities, what I said last week, what our communities are, it's where you, follower of Jesus, where you are with at least one other person. Because you, through the Holy Spirit, bring God with you everywhere you go. And therefore, you carry hope with you. That could be your family, could be with your husband, with your wife, your children, at work, with your collection, all your work, and not just single people, wherever you are with another person, one or more, you carry hope. That's the community we're talking about. Our church, our cities, our government, wherever you are, 
That's the communities we're talking about. And we believe that they'll be changed through hope in Jesus. And the pace that we believe it's going to happen, what we see in Scripture is it'll happen one person at a time. One person at a time because... You okay? <laughs> because, because Jesus did not go to the cross for programs. Right? What did he go to the cross for? People. So we're not here to try to build some great program. Those are tools, so they have an importance, but not the most important. People are. People are. And so what God calls us to, the pattern, the pace that Jesus set is one person at a time. A life invested in another person. One person at a time. And that is our vision. That's, we believe we're going to call you to it. We're going to step into it and we're going to live that out. With perfection, no. Because no vision plan, no you know, programming is perfect. There's only one thing perfect. Amen. And what is that? Say that. What's perfect? <laughs> Say it louder. Jesus, right? <laughs> Jesus, Jesus. Amen. So in that, we're going to look at that. So I introduced the first two elements, our motto and our vision statement. And I've invited our executive pastor, who he's a leader of our leaders, and I asked him to come share with how we're going to go about this. So Pat, will you share with us, brother? You know, and, and just thinking about the motto, one of the things that you had said last week that I really liked is uh, this isn't just like you, you just dreamed this up, right? The, the motto, it, that, that idea really comes from Jesus. He, he uses these statements that draw you in and you just got to know more. Worship him. The Father seeks those that worship him in spirit and in truth. And you come closer and you're drawn in to go, okay, that's good. And what does that mean? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you're drawn in. So I love that. I love that we have that. And, and it's centered around Jesus and hope. And hope changes everything. So, so I do get the privilege of uh, uh, revealing something that's been a part of a process for a couple years now. It was about two years ago that Scott was woke up in the night and the Lord wouldn't leave him alone. And he wouldn't let him sleep until he, he wrote down some things that he was really impressing on his heart as he was an executive pastor here in, in, at that time. And it was, it was some of these things. Well, uh, fast forward and taking that lead position, following the Lord, stepping out in faith and, and going, all right, God, you're calling me here. Getting together with our elders this last January, way back then, feels like forever ago, and, uh, and kicking around this new vision and mission, which is truly just kind of a, a refinement of. It's not making new for the sake of making things new. It, it's uh, it's uh, renewing where we've been, who we are, and where we're going as a church. And so we seek to uh, fulfill this vision. Now, how that happens is mission. It, it's how we go about reaching this vision. So with our vision to see our communities change through hope in Jesus, one person at a time, how we're going to do that is this, is this. North Shore Christian Church's mission is to see our communities change when we, who's we? How many of you are with us? This is your church, right? This is us. This is, this is all of us. 
across the board, right? When we passionately pursue Jesus, radically love, everybody point this way, radically love one another, compassionately serve others, that's within our church as well as outside of our church walls, and relationally disciple all people. You know, there's a few things in those statements that we want to be able to highlight and high center and make sure that we, we remember together, okay? The key, the key words, the core words are the pursue, love, serve, disciple. For the sake of uh, memorability's sake, would you just say that with me? Pursue, love, serve, disciple. That, that's our mission. As we do that, live that, that is how we will fulfill our vision, that desired destination that we want to go, that we see God calling us to, and we want to be a part of what he's doing here and in this community and within these communities. So there's a, there's a passion piece for that first statement, and that's the how. That's kind of the heart, heart set, mindset. But the core word is pursue. Now there's a person in mind, and that is the one and only, right? And so so each of those statements have a, a direction in which they're going to go to, a, a person in mind. There's a core word that we're wanting to focus on. And then there's a kind of a heart set and a mindset in which we'll do it. So, so that's important as we look at this. But it's important that we go pursuing, pursuing him, him alone, right, above all others. And loving. If we don't do this, we're missing it. And serving, serving one another here as well as beyond our church walls. He, that was the example that Christ himself gave us. I did not come to be served, but to, right? And then the great commission that we would disciple. We'd do that personal, life on life. We would raise up others. And that direction is really important. It's important that that direction of discipling and spiritual investment is founded in the word of God, not just man's attempt or a program or whatever. And so I want to draw your attention to Ephesians 4.11. Now, there's several passages that communicate this same truth. Uh, but this one is a significant one, and it clearly spells it out for the church and in relationship to what we're talking about here and now. Ephesians 4.11 says this, and he gave, that is God, to the church, he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, also known as pastors and teachers, that is to the church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who in here is a saint? Raise your hands. Okay, check this out. So by grace, through faith, is the premise our faith is built on, correct? By grace, through faith. So if God calls you his saint, if he has made you such, then by faith we live that. By grace, we receive that. And so, we see here, God gave leaders to the church to lead the church, to lead the people called saints for the works of ministry. Not our agenda, not your agenda, not the world's agenda, Jesus's, right? His mission. 
And so we build up the body for his ministry, okay? And he says, for the building up of the body until, then he uses a lot of descriptive language. I'm going to say it, but I'm going to kind of synthesize it afterwards as well. For building up the body until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and stature and fullness of Christ. This is what it's saying. God gave the church leaders, leaders to lead, lead the people in building up the body on his agenda for his work that he wants to do in and through his church, out into the community, out into the world, that we would become like Christ. Verse 15 says it as well, and it kind of condenses it too. Rather, speak the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him. So we keep that in view. Who, what do we disciple? Who, who do we disciple people towards? What do we disciple people in? Christ-likeness, right? Christian, Christ-like one. So back to the mission, pursue, love, serve, disciple. That's how we'll go about reaching our vision. You won't hear us so much use the terminology, just common language, mission. It won't be necessarily on a t-shirt or a poster or whatever. We'll use it in our leadership settings, but what we will use more commonly is the terminology of the path. This is the path. This is the path for North Shore. This is the path of spiritual maturity that we here pursue, love, serve, disciple. This is the path. It's the path of a disciple in following Christ. And it's the path of those of us that are spiritually investing in others, also known as discipling and making disciples. So it's the path in which we lead others through, pursuing, loving, serving, discipling. So we invite you on this journey, this exciting journey that God is calling us to and, and through, and, uh, and we're, we're excited to be about it. So um, with that, this journey... It is going to be good, and it's going to be fun, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be sad at times, and it's going to be stretching, and it's going to be uncomfortable, and it's going to be fulfilling, and it's going to be rewarding, right? It is not all butterflies and rainbows. As much as we would love for it to be smooth and comfortable and go our way. That's not what it's like, right? No, and that's not what Jesus invites us into either. He actually invites us into something better, deeper, more fulfilling. And he's with us and he never leaves us alone on our own. And so here we are. We invite you into that. So first leg of the race, this first uh, spiritual mile marker if you will, on this path is passionately pursuing Jesus, passionately pursuing Jesus. And uh, we're going to look at that first core word, and then I'm going to hand it over to Scott to talk about that, that how, that kind of mindset, that heart set. So uh, that first core word is pursue. By pursue, we mean to seek, to follow, to go after. And we look at Matthew 4.19, uh, especially for that. And that is the invitation that Jesus had with his, for his first disciples, his, his first followers. He said, many of you know it, come, follow me, 
and I will make you into fishers of men. So it looks like I'm going to follow. He's going to make us and he's going to change us into uh, people of his mission and of his, of his likeness. So a couple things when it comes to pursuing and what that looks like. It first starts with following. It first starts with following. And just some simple imagery is he's in front of you. You are not in front of him. Right? He is in front of you. In other words, you are behind him. One way we would look at it is, have you bent your knee to Lord Jesus Christ? Not one time a long time ago is your life reflective of your knee bent to your Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. We could look at some examples of things that we uh, might struggle with today. Is Jesus in front of your mouth? Is Jesus in front of your mouth? Is Jesus in front of your political opinion and expressing your political opinion? Is he in front and you are behind him? Is he in front of your social media expression of yourself? Is Jesus Lord and in front and you are behind? Is Jesus in front of your opinion about other people's opinions? Is he in front? Is your knee bent to your Lord? Part of pursuing as Christians, as a church, in, in who we are and what we're about is he is in front. And we are following him. It's not how other people get it twisted. And he's behind us and he follows us into whatever endeavors we have. It's not the case. Not here. Not here. We follow and he's in front. Pursuing Christ means following Christ. Pursuing Christ also means going after, going after. We would go after him because our life depends on it. Our life depends on following him and going after him. He is the best thing that has ever, 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 ever happened in your life and will happen in your life. He is it. And because of that, because of that truth, we go after him. We go after him and seek him to know him in his word. We go after him to be still before him to know that he is God. We go after him and draw near to him in prayer. We go after him to worship him in all things throughout all of our life, we go after him through faith, obediently obeying his word and his voice. We go after him by walking with his spirit and keeping in step with his spirit, pursuing passionately Jesus Christ. 
Good word, right? Thank you, Pat. It's um, pursuing. It's a beautiful, complex word, right? It's about following. It's about seeking, pursuing. So when you see that word, understand that great call. But how to go about it. What is our calling of how to do it? And that's passionately. <laughs> and I am the right guy to give this portion, right? When we were talking about, I said, I've got to do that. Many of you know I'm an ex-coach. So I love a good pregame talk, right? Let's get those kids to kick the door off the wall when they head to the field, right? And that's this kind of moment, right? That we need to passionately pursue Jesus. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 6. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Beatitudes. And what Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Right? Come on. They will be satisfied. Righteousness simply means to be right. But biblically what it means is to be in right standing before God. It's to be in a right relationship with God. And he says, you need to pursue that like you do, and Pat said, like life-giving food and water, like your very life depended upon it. Passionately, from the core of who you are, you need to go after God. The imagery I love in Psalm 42, verses 1 through 2, and you, you, you've heard this verse. If you're a little older like me, you remember that little um, chorus we'd sing, as the deer, right? And, and for some reason we have to you sing wanna, it in the you sing King the James. Pantif, right? When do you ever say that word, right? As a deer pants for water, so my soul longs after you. You grabbing that? And think of the context that that was written in, the arid climate. A deer that is actually panting for water, thirsting for it, thirsting for the living God. That is what he's talking about. That's how he wants us to pursue him. Like our very life depended on it. That we are desperate for him. Because we know we need him. Let me ask you, does that describe your journey? Are you desperate for him? Is he life or just another option? Is this routine or something that can change everything in your life, your family's life, in the communities around you? He calls us to be passionate toward him. And he promises, okay? Because that, that's kind of a tough call. Like, whoo! But he says, you will be satisfied. Amen? Okay, that's the promise you have. If you'll go after him passionately, there's a promise attached to that, that you will be satisfied. You will have that relationship with him because he wants to have it with you. He's not running from you. 
This isn't a game of tag. Mm -hmm. The beautiful thing about pursuit, guess what Jesus is doing to you? Come on. He's pursuing you. It'll be the shortest pursuit you ever have. Because as soon as you turn to him, what are you going to run into? Him running to you. Right? Opening his arms to you. Okay, it's a beautiful. You will be satisfied. You will be satisfied. But what's this look like? Okay, I want to hunger and thirst after him. Well, God says to his people in Jeremiah 29, 11, or 13, 14 there, he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found, he says. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found. What he's asking is for all of our heart and what our heart is biblically. It's the seat of our affections, our emotions, our will, our desire. It's us going toward him. He says, I want you to seek me with all of your heart. Jesus teaches the same thing to us. In Matthew 22, the great commandment, many of you have heard it. They are trying to trap Jesus. When they ask him, what is the greatest commandment? But what Jesus gives us there is what our pursuit should be and how we should go about it. He says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with what? All of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul. How much of your heart? All of it. Your whole heart. All of you going toward him. That's what he asks. How much of your heart does he have? Does he have your whole heart? Here's what's amazing about this. What intersects our pursuit of him, our whole heart, is something called grace. Because he pursues us. He gives us mercy and grace. He meets our whole heart push toward him. And where we are deficient, lacking, he calls us, he meets us there, he loves us. Because mm -hmm. what he wants to do. Thank you, Jesus. You know, amen. <laughs> what he wants to do, he wants to bless you, it says, right? Luke eleven twenty eight 28 says this. I will bless you in the areas that you surrender to me. Right? Blessing comes from obedience. So what he's saying is, is this, this interaction is you come before me and you trust me with something. A decision, a thought, an action. Because there I will meet you. Because he takes our faith and pours himself in as we surrender self to him. He blesses. That's why he wants our whole heart. Because he wants to bless us. He wants to pour himself into every area of our lives. So he invites us to love him with all of our heart. There's a problem. There's a problem. Okay. 
And I might get in a little bit of a soapbox here, so I apologize. Uh, well, maybe I don't. But just to say I apologize. Um, <laughs> so with that is this. Is us as people, me too, okay? Need a mirror. What I see in the American church is the opposite of passion. I see a passivity, being passive in our faith. And we see that all through the history of man. The book of Judges. What we see is a cycle of God's people. Well, they get on fire for God for a moment. And they think, wait, we're pretty good at this stuff. And they get passive. They sit back and, mm, we're just doing our thing. We got this. And they begin to spiritually crumble. And then their society and their culture begins to crumble. And then God, full of grace and mercy, comes in, picks them up again. And the book of Judges is just that cycle. And we see through it all scripture, God speaking to people. And their passivity. The book of Revelation, right? First two chapters. There's a word spoken to churches. And he speaks to their passivity. They're just, you're being passive. He says this in Revelation 3, uh, verse 5, I believe it is. He says, I know your works, he says to one church. You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. He says you're passive. You're passive. That doesn't do anything. What I want. You know what's interesting about that? What's that? Is he says you're lukewarm. You have forgotten your first love in the church of Ephesus, right? Passion. You've forgotten your first yeah. love. It's our passion, right? He calls us. You with me? He calls us to passionately pursue him. Amen. 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 He calls us to passionately pursue him. But the problem is sometimes we can grow passive. What's that look like? What's a picture of when someone grows passive? Some things I just wrote down. In our prayer. Our prayer becomes a, a wish list to God versus a faith-filled conversation with God. Our Bible, our Bible reading becomes just information, data, trying to prove people wrong versus a transformative encounter with the living God. Our worship. Our worships become songs of duty. Yeah, we sing because we have to, so I mumble through words or nothing. Versus a cry of our heart to God. We become passive in our church attendance. It becomes a mere option. If I feel like it today, if there's nothing else going on that's better, which the list of better is getting longer and longer, it's a, a best second place versus a privileged and essential time of engaging Jesus Christ and those that are gathering in his name. A command, Hebrews 10. We become passive in our lifestyles, right? We start trusting in ourselves and doing the things that we want to do and how we want to do it versus trusting what God has to say to us. The church at large has become passive. They don't press into relationship. It's one of the most divided institutions in all of America. We spend our time 
arguing, fighting, criticizing, versus forgiving, unity, and love, and compassion toward one another. Oftentimes, and I've heard this many times, I don't want that, God. I peeked inside the American church, and I don't want that. Because what they don't see God. Because we got passive, it becomes about us and not about him. So he calls us to be passionate. And he calls us to be passionate for this reason. Because he wants to bless you, all of you. I gave you Luke, amen, right? I gave you Luke 11, 28, right? God wants to pour himself into you, all of you, because he loves you. If you need an illustration of that, if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Did I have rules for my kids just to make their life miserable? Did I ask them to obey me just to make their life miserable? Or is it because I love them? And I wanted to give them all the wisdom, all the blessing, all the guidance that I had. That's what the Heavenly Father wants to do. But He needs what He wants. He can bless anything. But what He asks of us is to step out in faith and passionately pursue Him. Give Him our whole heart, all of us. So I ask you, does God have your whole heart? Because he loves you. So we look at how to do it. What's more important, and I don't want this message ever lost here at North Shore under my leadership. It's the object of that passion. There's a lot of things to be passionate about, get excited about. Tonight at 520, I'm going to be very, very passionate. Right? <laughs> Seahawks fans, come on. <laughs> yes, and I love that stuff. But nothing, nothing, should come in the way of the object of what the true passion should be aimed for, what we are pursuing and seeking. So, Pat, what is the object of our passionate pursuit? Well, you could probably guess it by now. On. There's one person. His name is above every other name, and that name is? Jesus. There it is, passionately pursuing Jesus. When I think about a, uh, a Bible story that communicates it the best, I have to look to Peter in John 6, okay? So John 6... Jesus is teaching his disciples, and a lot of disciples don't like what he's saying. To the point of saying this, verse 66, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. After Jesus said these things and communicated these truths and revealed who he is and what he's about and what he called them to, they said, I'm not going to follow you anymore. I'm not going to passionately pursue you. It's not worth it. It's not comfortable. It doesn't fit within my agenda or whatever. Then he turns to his 12 and he says, do you want to go away as well? Simon, got to love his answer. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know you are the Holy One of God. Amen. Where else are we going to go? Where else? Who else are we going to put our faith and our trust and our hope in? You've got to be kidding me. 
There's no other name that was given in which one is to be saved. And it's everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are promised. And God is not an empty promise maker. If he's a promise giver, he is a promise keeper, right? And so he promises everyone who will call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Who else? Let me ask you, you going to put your hope in money? Are, are you going to live for money? In having enough money and security? D does that satisfy the soul and answer the deepest questions that are within you of why are we here? Why does this matter? What am I to be about? Who made me and how did he make me and what does he want of me? And who is he? And why is this whole thing going on the way it is? What are you going to be about? Is, is your job and that position and that status and that approval and that affirmation, does that? satisfy the deepest longings? Is that what you're going to live for, to work? What are you going to be about? What do you put your hope in? In having people approve and get enough likes? In living for pleasure, in that fleeting enjoyment that just goes away and you got to do it again? Is that what it's about? Experience? Is that what it's about? There's one, right? There's one. And, and we've come to this place of believing and trusting. There's one. There's only one. And he is the one. In this world where we are so divided, painfully so, painfully so, we are polarized. We are polarized. This world, our country, it's so bad. It's so painful. There is a place of truth, actually grace and truth, and it's called the church. It's Jesus' organization in which he created to be a part of the world that he would work in and through out to win the world for him. And if we can't get it, if we can't in unity and love and truth follow him, passionately pursuing Jesus enough to get on the same page together and say, yeah, I'm about Jesus. You too? Right on. We have that in common and that actually trumps a whole heck of a lot of other things where we may differ. Amen? Amen. Where else are we going to put our trust? Where else are we going to put our hope? There is one truth and he has a name in a time and a place where we're going what is true what can i trust who can i trust what authorities can i trust what organizations can i trust where is truth truth has a name and his name is hope his name is jesus <laughs> that's where i was going to the next one where do we find hope hope has a name his name is jesus
We passionately pursue Jesus. It's who we are. It's what we do. It's what we live and breathe. Amen, amen. Thank you, Pat. Yeah, exactly. Um, really important as we are looking at this series, I'm going to say it until I'm blue in the face, until you say it until you're blue in the face. Jesus. Our world desperately needs to, be tr to have us be true Jesus followers and not get sucked in to the hope that the world's chasing because we know hope. So as we look at passionately pursuing Jesus, there's a picture I want to give you. What, what's it look like? And we were praying and talking about this. I said, you know what the, the, the kind of never-ending picture of what it looks like to passionately pursue Jesus is when a person is baptized. When they go through that process of becoming, of getting baptized. I want you to think about your baptism. If you have not been baptized, as I talk about this, we put some questions in Scripture, Romans 6, to read about that. And if that sparks some questions and thoughts, we're going to be up here after. Come talk to us. But if you have been baptized, I want you to think about that season, that time that you were baptized. And thinking about these elements of passionately pursuing Jesus. And I take you to Acts chapter 2. What they say is the birth of the church. Jesus was resurrected. The Holy Spirit came down. The Apostle Peter gave this message, this powerful sermon. We told all about Jesus to these thousands of Jews that had gathered. And after they heard this message, it says they were cut to the heart. And they asked Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what do we do? And he answered, repent and be baptized. And it says thousands of them were baptized. So as you look at radically pursuing Jesus, they made a decision that day to pursue Jesus. What do we do? We are ready. We're at the starting line. There's something different. It's changing our pursuit. What we're seeking is different. We are ready to follow and seek whom would you speak of? This Jesus. And it says that that message of Jesus cut to the heart. It went deep. That seed was planted deep in their heart. And they repented. What that means is they changed the direction of their heart. And they said, all of our hearts, desires, our wills are going toward Jesus. We're passionately pursuing. We are ready to passionately pursue Jesus. You think about your baptism. Remember. Remember. In that season, I know Jesus was keen, focused on you, and you were dialed into him. You're in this beautiful relationship, and you felt him calling you. Many of you probably went to mom and dad, right? Went to a pastor and said, I'm ready. I feel Jesus calling me. Um, I want to be baptized. I want all of me to go toward him to a place where I'll take my whole body and I'll go underwater in front of my community to proclaim one name, 
and now it's Jesus. Just think about this in Acts 2. These were Jews. If they decide to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior, their Messiah, the one who will end all sacrifice, the Lamb of God, who went to the cross for them, for their sins, went to the grave, defeated death, and rose again three days later, and is at the right hand of the Father preparing a place for all who believe. If they put their trust and faith in that, they would be excommunicated. They made a decision that day. Jesus and Jesus alone. Count me with Jesus. The world behind me, the cross before me. Thousands of them were baptized that day. You made that decision. So you said, I am counted with Jesus. Boom. That's what passionately pursuing Jesus looks like. Is it hard? You better believe it. Is it worth it? No doubt. And it takes this thing that sounds so easy to say, but so hard to do. It takes faith. It takes faith. Because you have to lower that one thing we'll hold tight to, and that's pride. You got to say, I can't do it. I can't save myself. This world can't bring me hope. Only Jesus. And I got to, and it's hard. We, and you got to lay pride down. So in faith, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask you to come into my heart and my life. Forgive me of sins. Become my Lord and my Savior. And I'll begin to journey with you. I'm going to begin to pursue you with all my heart. And what you're going to run into is grace and love. Because he's chasing after you a lot faster than you're running toward him. And you'll meet this loving Savior. So if you don't know him as your personal Lord and Savior, don't waste a second. We're going to be up here. Josh and his team are going to lead us in songs. And we just talk about, are you ready? But if you know Jesus, I do want you to look at the picture of your own baptism. And get back there. Step out of passivity and enter passion. And pursue him, follow him, seek him. And Jesus alone. And if we do this, North Shore, I believe it on the authority of the Word of God that this world will be changed in the name of Jesus Christ. All right? And that's what we are. Josh, team, lead us. Love you, North Shore.